from the newsroom of Impact Alpha, I'm Monique Aiken, and this is your Impact Briefing for Friday, April 21st. Today, Himalaya Rao, Managing Partner of the BFM Fund, that's Black Founders Matter, speaks with David Bank about the Alpha case for racial justice investing and the challenges faced by a woman manager when raising her first fund. But first, here's what you need to know from the week in Impact Investing. Rate hikes and banking woes mean impact investors and entrepreneurs face a capital crunch. This week's Millican Global Conference in Beverly Hills keyed in on the daily development shaking the macroeconomic environment, as Amy Cortese reports in Impact Alpha. For impact investors and entrepreneurs, that translates into an end to the era of low interest rates and ready capital in which impact investing grew up. Reports are coming in of increased default rates for some lenders, climate tech investing has finally succumbed to the broader venture capital pullback, and fund managers are holding off on deal-making. As Rob Brown of Atlas Impact Partners said, Everyone who needs capital is going to be more challenged going forward, and that'll probably play out unequally, unfortunately. Impact investing in reproductive health care was rising even before last year's Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade. In a guest post, analysts from the consultancy Bridgespan chart five impact investing opportunities in reproductive health, reproductive rights, and reproductive justice. Choice Health, a for-profit telehealth provider, is working to expand access to services for people seeking abortion and reproductive care, despite restrictions for such care in 19 states. A new crop of muni bond investors boosted demand for Chicago's first social bond. The increased demand for the $160 million offering, including from local residents, will save the city more than $50,000 in interest payments over the life of the bond, reports Oscar Perry Obello. The bond will pay for the planting of 15,000 new street trees in disinvested neighborhoods and the conversion of motels and single-room occupancy buildings into housing for people transitioning out of homelessness, among other projects. With this issuance, the city's chief financial officer will fund seven projects with racial justice impacts. This week's guest, Himalaya Rao of the BFM Fund, is one of a dozen fellows in VC Include's latest cohort of emerging managers. Include aims to increase tenfold the 1.4% of U.S. assets under management by firms owned by women or people of color. Let's jump right into David's conversation with Himalaya. Tell us what the BFM Fund is and a little bit about yourself. Sure, yeah. The BFM Fund is a $10 million seed stage fund focused on Black entrepreneurs across verticals within the United States. So we focus on incredible Black leaders um, and then really be able, we create an intentional inclusion pathway so that um, Black entrepreneurs can both access entrepreneurship and also build companies that can scale and grow. Now, not to put too fine a point on it, but you're not Black. So tell us how you came to this focus. Absolutely. So one, um, I think that when we think about issues surrounding equity, it's really interesting how folks feel like only people from one community who are having issues around equity can be the only ones who are concerned about that, right? And so um, actually at the BFM Fund, we're focused on multiple different um, sections of within the BIPOC community 
that um, have different needs. And so that's why um, each of our funds and each of our initiatives has a thematic focus on different racial justice lenses. And so this is the fund that's focused on Black entrepreneurs um, so that we can really dive into the specific needs of Black entrepreneurs. Um, and so when you think about like, why, why me, right? Like, um, I think that it, it shouldn't just be me. I think it should be a lot more people, which is why our, one of our focuses is to make sure that other fund managers, especially other women of color, get funded because there should be more people working in the space of black equity and creating generational black wealth. And how did you come to that personally, your own story? Yeah, so um, first, uh, I am a first-generation immigrant to this country. Um, and I think that one of my biggest uh, points growing up was that I saw my own parents being treated really poorly because of their accents or their skin color. And they're both really brilliant and actually super accomplished, both educationally and experience-wise. But they have faced a lot of discrimination. And for me, I, I think because I'm a first-generation immigrant to this country, when I looked at other black and brown faces, I felt a sense of community, right? And so I actually didn't separate it out. And so uh, it, I think, like deeply saddens me to see different BIPOC groups not being able to identify and be empathetic to other um, groups, right? It's like we are all facing different oppression um, and then we're only centered around that and we never see that actually like our brothers and sisters are also facing a lot of hurt. Can we work together to be able to solve issues for both of us, right? And so that's really where my my empathy comes from. I also, as a social worker, that's how I started my career. Um, and I worked in the Hunts, in Hunts Point in the Bronx. Um, and uh, I worked predominantly with Black and Latino communities and families. And for me, what I saw was a ton of resilience and strength and perseverance and the ability for so many people to be in entrepreneurship. But no one calls those individuals founders. You know, even when they're small business owners, it's like, oh, we just do this to survive. You know, even in the community, they don't think of themselves as founders or entrepreneurs. They don't think of entrepreneurship as a career. And when I went to get my MBA and I was exposed to entrepreneurship as a career and venture capital, there's just like two parallel universes, right? Um, and so for me, it's not necessarily around like, you know, why me specifically? It's more who is going to be that bridge that connects incredible human beings that are able to create scalable companies that are able to help us innovate as a whole, but aren't represented? And so that was the impetus. And that's why we decided to create the BFM Fund. Now, you're doing this in Oregon, and I think there's a sort of public sector component to it as well, right? Yeah. So um, launched the fund in Oregon. I actually am the first woman of color in Oregon's history to uh, be in venture capital and uh, raise a fund and run a fund. And so I, I don't say, I, usually people are like, oh my gosh, congratulations. I'm not saying that as a flex. I'm actually saying that as a look at the state of, of what is happening, right? And the fact that I needed to come in and create some change, right? Um, and I also say that to say like, it's, it's not easy to raise a fund in a place where the ecosystem is not already set up for you to be successful. And so my entire point of wanting to raise a fund in Oregon is to create the structural systems so that many more people and women of color after me 
can raise funds in Oregon so that it can become a more diversified place so that we can actually participate in the innovation economy through a different lens. And so I did do a couple economic development funds, created a relationship with the state of Oregon, um, Ricardo Lopez, who is uh, someone who works with the Oregon Growth Board, has been phenomenal um, in terms of being an advocate for actually executing and deploying into diverse funds. And so he was one of the strongest champions of the fund. And I think the reason why the state of Oregon actually ended up investing in the fund. Um, and so, yeah, that we do have a public-private component to it. And just tell us the state of the progress of the fund. And- sure, yeah. So we have about, um, we have a little over half soft-circled. Um, and we started the fundraise with individuals who had seen me over the last five years really develop in Oregon as one of like the leaders in venture capital. And so then we're able to trust me, right? Um, because I do look different and I come from a totally different background. Um, and so they were able to trust me. And so that's where we raised the first million and a half to two million. And then we were hitting a wall, you know, where people were like, well, we kind of need to see the track record. And it wasn't enough that I had worked in seven funds or that it had launched two economic development funds. They wanted to see a track record in this fund, especially because this fund was going to be focused on diverse entrepreneurs. And that's not a um, typical mandate in Oregon, right? And so people were a little bit nervous about investing in a, in a racially focused fund. And so what I did was I took the capital that we raised and I deployed that into 10 companies. So that, and I did that in 2021. That way, you know, by the end of 2021 into 2022, what I was able to do was go back to foundations, family offices, trusts, individuals and say, you wanted a track record. Here it is. In the last 18 months, we've been able to move four out of 10 companies upward into that three or 5X mark. And we have had two companies in our portfolio have that 5X markup. Go from three to three and $5 million post-money valuation caps to 15 and 25 in just a year and a half under market volatility and like under turbulent market conditions. In the middle of COVID, in the middle of a, with an incipient downturn. This is not like a a hypothesis that it maybe could work. This is not something that um, needs to be seen as high risk. We have a team of seasoned operators who constantly have to work harder to prove that model and prove themselves. And so we've been able to prove it. And so that's what we've done. The phrase alpha keeps coming up and that there's sort of un- underappreciated value. Um, but the flip side of that is sometimes that the, the valuations are low and you can get in and get, and get a good deal. So Absolutely. there's, there's, there's two sides to the, I mean, to the coin there. Totally. Like, you know, that's how we're like in part able to create so much upside for our LPs is because, you know, when we made our first investment actually through an SPV, um, the founder had 40K in MRR and still was having trouble raising and had a safe note at a $5 million post money cap. But that is unheard of, right? Like any other founder that had MRR, that had traction in the market, would be able to raise at a much higher valuation and would be seen as a de-risked entrepreneur. But because of our conceptions around black entrepreneurship, we inherently always feel like they're too early and they're too risky. But we really wanted to showcase if you want to maximize for impact and return, you shouldn't be investing in black founders because that's where you're going to see, because of societal constraints, people who are the most capital efficient and market responsive, but also have a lower valuation to start with 
And can we explode that valuation and our growth in the next few months? So underappreciated value in the founders, underappreciated value in the fund managers, and you've got a good, exactly. a, a good, a good opportunity uh, exactly. to ride that valuation up. Exactly. You know, this notion of uh, diverse fund managers just can't afford to just spray and pray, right? And I, I think it's so true. Like, even from a founder standpoint, from a fund manager standpoint, I can't afford to fail because I already have so much difficulty when I go to cap, like do capital raises. And then even once I get the allocation, the LPs hold us to higher standards because we are like one of the few that are representing a huge market of diverse fund managers. So we can't afford to fail. And so that pressure is constantly on us that we're upholding more than just our fund. We're speaking for many other funds and the trajectory of capital to those funds. And so like we work tirelessly and I think more so than maybe other fund managers, because it's not just like a, well, you know, maybe we'll return, maybe we won't, you know, it's just a fund one. It's not just a fund one. It's a marker for how capital will get allocated to other fund managers in the future. And that's going to do it for this week's Impact Briefing. Thanks to Himalaya, David, and our producer, Isaac Silk. For the rest of our VC Include interviews, check out the links in the show notes. Ready to try Impact Alpha? Sign up for Impact Alpha Open, free of charge, directly at impactalpha.com. Want to go deeper? Grab a subscription and get full access to the site, Agents of Impact Calls, and the daily email brief. Just go to impactalpha.com slash subscribe and choose an annual subscription. Thank you for listening. I'm Monique Aiken, Managing Director for TIP, the Investment Integration Project. Be sure to check back for next week's briefing. And until then, take care.